Today's text is found from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Even if you want to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if one forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anderson. <clears throat> if you didn't pick up, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and we are following what Jesus has been teaching and so today we come up with uh, what I have called slaps, lawsuits, long hikes, and beggars, as I try to remember what we're talking about. Uh, but Jesus puts before us some words which uh, follow in the context of an argument, which we need to get our heads around before we move forward in understanding how to apply rightly what we find God's Word saying here and what Jesus is intending to do. So let's just take a quick moment. If, you, if I would invite you, if you're I uh, want to follow along in your copy of, of your word, if that's digital or print, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Um, it'd be good for you to be able to see the text and have it in front of you, as these words, uh, without understanding the context, are easy to misapply, and we don't want to do that. So we're going to follow along what Jesus has been doing, just to remind ourselves he's speaking to his disciples. He's talking to those who have decided to follow him. And we now, of course, stand on the other side of the Sermon of the Mount, but what we see in the beginning is Jesus inviting his disciples to come around him, come close, and sit down at his feet and listen to what he is saying. Uh, these truths, we find, are for the people who are in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, as, as Matthew calls it uh, repeatedly. Jesus speaks of again and again and again, this is, this is about the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about people who are in the kingdom of heaven and the principles that apply to govern those people. But he also points out, as we see, there's a contrast between the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees over against the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of the scribes and Pharisees were partly right, but missed the heart of God's law and the righteousness that is required by God. And Jesus is clarifying the misunderstanding. So part of what we need to understand is this message of what we're hearing today will seem like absolute nonsense to you if you're not in the kingdom of God. And, and probably most of you who are in the kingdom of God think this is absolutely incredible what he is saying. It is. It's amazing what Jesus is saying. So we won't be able to embrace this without the help of the Holy Spirit. You won't be able to do these things without the help of the Holy Spirit. This, the Sermon on the Mount has often been taught as a kind of ethic to ascribe to. You can't. It is holiness being expounded. We cannot live up to such standards without the help of the Holy Spirit. So when... when you as a Christian, as a believer, as pr the primary audience, and that's who I'm primarily speaking to, when you come to the Sermon on the Mount, 
I, at least from my perspective, when I do, I, I come to the Sermon on the Mount and I feel absolutely immobilized. I, I hear these words and this call to holiness and I recognize how far I am from this kind of holiness and, and, and part of me wants to just give up <laughs> and yet the other part of me wants to, okay, Jesus, if this is what you're calling me to and us to as a people, then I need some people to grab a hold of my hands and let's keep going, right? So if you're here this morning and you need some hand-holding, <laughs> That is not a problem. That is the purpose of the church. There is a uh, verse in, from Paul who says, uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You can't. You can't not live for Christ in isolation. And so this is a call for hungry hearts who yearn for holiness and know that they need the help of God in order to do this, in order to accomplish this call in the life of the believer. And that's what Jesus says he's come to do. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. And, and with his spirit given to those who would put faith in him, he then works out that calling within our hearts from the inside out. He pours his spirit into those who cry out to him for help, for salvation, for forgiveness. He pours his spirit into unworthy people and then fills us with his spirit and suddenly changes happen. And we begin to walk according to this calling. That's the Christian life. You, you hear the calling, you, receive, you believe what you hear about Jesus and his sacrifice, how he laid down his life, he gave up every personal right, everything he gave it up in order to purchase the right to pour out the Holy Spirit into the lives of unholy people and then begin to make them holy. And that happens by faith. So he says, I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament law. I came to fulfill it. And part of that old covenant entailed a commandment that looked forward to a day when new hearts would be given, when a new work would be done in, in the hearts of humanity and a, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit would happen. And Jesus comes to make that happen. He came to effect that outpouring. And we live on this side of that portion of history as beneficiaries who, by grace, through faith, can receive the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And so Jesus has begun to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is, you have heard from the scribes and the Pharisees, yada, 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 about six examples is what he gives. And then he says, but I say to you. So he takes the, part, the right teaching of the Pharisees as far as it went. And then he says, but I'm telling you, you need to go further. Because what he says is, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, Pharisees you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and the people listening thought that the scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people on the planet. And yet, Jesus demands even more righteousness because he says they have relaxed the teaching of the Old Testament. They have been incomplete. 
Jesus comes to complete and to fulfill and to uphold the, the righteous standards of God's law. And so today we come to this notion of slaps and lawsuits and long hikes and beggars because every, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, he will be the Lord over all of your life, not just a little part of it. He, he is sovereign over all things. So we as Christians... It's not just coming to a place. Being a Christian means inviting Christ into your heart and permeating all of you. So he cares about what you do at home. Jesus cares about what you do in your bedroom. He cares about what you do at work and he cares about how you fill out your taxes. And some of us are in the middle of filling out those taxes. He cares about everything in your life. As a Christian, he will have all of you this sermon is a call of complete surrender to Jesus. Your body, your possessions, your time, and your money. Jesus is demanding it all. And Christians are not those who demand personal rights. Christians are those who deny them. Because Jesus said some incredible things. He said, uh, come after me and die with me, is what he says. I don't know, just a paragraph. Um, he, he calls us to complete death. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Did you hear that? It, it, he did not say, let him take up his cross only on Sunday. He comes to call us to follow him daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day. For whoever would save his life must lo will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Right? I think of Anthony Colarusso when I hear these words. Because that was a passage that the Lord got a hold of him. All of you, Jesus wants all of you, body, possessions, time, and your money. Does he have it? So as we think about these words, let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, I am completely aware of my absolute inability to fully communicate what you communicated here. And yet I know by your spirit, you can speak to our hearts. And Father, I invite you by your spirit to speak to every one of us what each of us need to hear. You know the secrets of every heart listening to my voice. You know the depths of our minds. You know the things we really love. You know how we struggle with pleasing the people around us. And yet, Lord, there is something, some seed of eternity within us because you created us to know and enjoy you. And yet within us cries out, how can we find our way to you? And I pray, Lord, for those who are on the fence. I pray for those who are struggling to figure out if they really believe you and really trust you. And as we just sung, is it really true that there's nothing better than you? Do we believe that? Father, I pray that every one of us listening to these words this morning would ask the question, is that true of me? Do I really believe there's nothing better than Jesus? I pray that it would be true, Lord. Move us to that place. 
where we can joyfully say, I will let go of everything on the planet if I can hold on to Jesus. Let it be true, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 5, 38. What we're gonna do is take a look at the teaching of the Pharisees because they teach a principle and then Jesus will then expose it and say, here's where they went wrong and then he'll correct it with his own righteous teaching. So 538. The relaxed teaching of the Pharisees, he's going to pull out a principle. They had been missing something, and Jesus is going to fill in some blanks. And so he says in 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now just stop there. That's what he heard. That's the Old Testament principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is um, what in the Latin translation would be the the lex talionis, which is literally the law of retaliation, um, the law of retribution. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone pokes you in the eye, you get to poke them in their eye, right? If you lose a tooth, you, you can pull out theirs. This is principle of just retribution, which essentially is uh, the, the punishment must be in line with the crime. The the punishment must fit the crime. This is found in the Old Testament in several places. I'll just read one where we we get a full context of the purpose of this. What is the purpose of this? Because the Pharisees had misapplied the purpose, and we'll see it. So let's get the Old Testament picture, Deuteronomy chapter 19, 16 to 21. Little paragraph. I'll I'll just read this. So here's uh, Moses explaining the law of God. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. There it is. As he wanted to do to him, if he's lying about this, you do what he was proposing as punishment for the bad guy, who is not the bad guy, as it has been discovered. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. You see that? That is the purpose. Purge the evil from your midst. And the rest of you will hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So there's the purpose. There's two purposes we see. To purge evil. Because if you're lying about someone, there is an inquiry. (laughs) We need to find out if it's true. So the judges, the priests, in all in the presence of the Lord, let's inquire diligently, let's figure out if this is truth or not. And if it's not true, then the proposed punishment from the accuser, that will be enacted on him. Because if that happens, what is good, the, the purging will happen. If, if you're the guy who's lying, and everybody in this room has lied once or twice, right? We've all done it. If you're lying about someone and you're saying, ah, he, he did X, Y, and Z, and he should be punished for this, then we discover you're the one lying, then, then the this that you wanted to happen to him, justice would demand, okay, then you can have what you exactly were willing to meet out in all of your lyingness. And so there's the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The purpose to purge evil. Because when that happens, everybody's going to get the picture. Don't lie. Keep your word. We covered that a couple weeks ago, right? So don't lie. The purging of evil is part of it. And then also we see the second purpose is to uh, have a system where truth can be discerned. It is to prohibit private vengeance. Right? The context here is before judges 
and priests. And did you also notice the Lord? The Lord is there. In this setting, before the Lord, before priests and judges, there's to be a system of discernment. This is, this is prohibiting private revenge. Is exactly what this, this, this is prohibiting. We see that in Leviticus 19.18. It is explicit in other parts of the law. Do not take your own vengeance. You shall not take your own vengeance. Private retaliation is forbidden. Why? Because we, every human being, is inherently biased. We all think we're right and somebody else is wrong. And if another person wrongs us, then he deserves to really be punished. But if, I, if, I, if I'm wrong, I was just slightly mistaken. We all prefer that. And so this private justice goes wrong every time. And so the purging of evil was part of the purpose of this, this rule and, and the prohibiting of private vengeance. That's the purpose. Now, so the Pharisees then applied this and went wrong in two ways. They first of all began applying this principle in private and personal settings because they saw themselves as, as being righteous and upholding the law and to offend those who uphold God's law is a covert attack on God himself. And so we can take vengeance right away. So this principle that should prohibit personal vengeance, they actually in, used it and began applying it in, in, in personal settings. And so the second way that they went wrong was they began to demand it. It's not what we see often as we've been following Jesus through here is these Old Testament principles are laws to govern behavior, but they don't have to be enacted, right? When you're offended, you don't have to retaliate. And the Pharisees began to apply it in small and insignificant cases. And so, I mean, you see this. Jesus now takes this idea of a slap. Think of a slap. Right? We, we imagine the pompous person who is inflated with his own ego and he is somehow offended. What is he going to do to demonstrate his own value? And as I was thinking about this, I was imagining, imagine yourself walking to work. You are with a crowd of people. It's early morning. Everybody's moving on your way to, to get to the bus or the, uh, you're, 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 you get off the tee. Now you're walking to your, your place of employment. And, and you're with a little crowd of people. And you see Mr. Super so-and-so who has the massive ego right in front of you in his brown cashmere coat. And, and you're, you know, you're moving along. And, and suddenly the light changes and the crowd that you're with suddenly stops. But you're, you're looking at your phone and holding your coffee and you just didn't quite see the crowd suddenly stop. You didn't stop in time and you bump into Mr. Super so-and-so with a giant ego and coffee goes all over him and he looks, what did you do? And he pulls off his glove and <laughs> smacks you. And the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What does the law say? I get to smack him back. It was an accident. Right? Tooth for tooth, smack for smack. And this is the question. How are we going to respond in those moments? I, 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 in high school, I was faced with a similar situation. I got smacked in the face one time by Johnny Hook in the 10th grade. And 
I did not turn the other cheek. I grabbed him by the hairy head and started hitting on him and went over the table into another table of girls and this cry of shouting erupted and it was terrible. I wish I could go back and undo that. Johnny and I got that worked out at the end of detention, by the way. Uh, We (laughs) shook hands and went home because we were friends. But what are you going to do when you're standing there and you've been smacked in the face in public? The call is people who have giant egos, it's up to them to maintain. So public image is everything. We have to stand up. And if someone has affronted our character, it deserves a public slap. But if for those of us whose whose identity is grounded in our relationship to God the Father, we don't need to do that. And so could you in that moment say, um... I'm really sorry. Can I, can I get your coat cleaned? Um, can, I, can I take care of that? I, sorry, it was on my phone. I, I should have been watching what I was doing. Can I, can I take care of your coat? Who knows if the taking of the coat to the cleaners would not allow you an opportunity to explain why you responded very differently. I think that is a part of what we are seeing in what Jesus is talking about today is Christians ought to be different. The people of God ought to respond differently to the circumstances of life than everybody else around you. If we respond to the bumps of life in exactly the same way as the world, there's a problem. If the people who know God act exactly like the people who don't know God, the salt has lost its flavor. And something is seriously wrong. So now Jesus is going to illustrate what he calls his people to with four illustrations. So the principle, uh, to eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, intended to purge evil and prevent private justice. Now Jesus is going to say, you don't have to enact that in every case. Let me tell you a different way of doing. Let me show you how the, the transformed heart can look at circumstances very differently. And so he's going to offer us four different instances. And he's going to force us to think about what do we do when we're slapped in the face and when we have our clothes uh, taken from us or we're forced to serve an oppressor or we have repeated requests from beggars. How do we respond? Uh, Jesus is going to say, all of this is going to be framed by not resisting an evil person. And so don't resist the evil person who imposes upon your person, your possessions, your time, or your money. So let's look at verse 39. He says, so you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, verse 39, do not resist one who is evil. There it is, there's that phrase. And now how? Let me give you an example, Jesus says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So this is not a universal ban on all resistance, right? Because we're commanded to resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, says the word of God. And so Jesus himself, in some circumstances, resisted evil people who were around him. For example, he was taken from his own townsfolk up to the top of the hill where they were going to throw him off the mountain and kill him. And he resisted their evil intentions and went away. There's several times when Jesus does this in Scripture. When Herod was asking Jesus to perform a sign in his evil desire for uh, coaxing and seeing something cool, Jesus did not comply. He resisted him. 
And so there's not all of these instances of which uh, we're never to resist. Don't hear this as do not resist the evil person as saying, well, just have to let evil people do what they do. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. When evil people wanted to condemn a woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus stood up against that evil and stopped her death. Right, so there, there's right and good ways to resist evil. And this is not talking about a universal prohibition on Christians serving in government or in law enforcement. Uh, Peter and Paul clearly affirm in Scripture that those who serve in such places are, are put there by God because uh, governors and magistrates are intended to, what? Resist evil. They're intended to punish evil and promote good. And so this, this one who is evil, Jesus is giving us an incredibly personal example, a smack in the face. You can't get any more personal than that. And for, notice the right cheek. If anyone smacks you on the right cheek, and Nicholas, if I were standing here talking to you, I'm going to smack you on the right cheek. I have to use my, the back, if I'm right-handed, I'm using my back hand to smack someone on the right cheek. So that's a, that is an intentional insult. And the question is, what happens when you're insulted? Have you been insulted lately? Your intelligence been insulted or you're insulted at work? Um, you uh, wonder what, what sort of standard, what's happening uh, in your life? What do you do with those insults? Do you just ignore them or let them go? And Jesus is saying here, uh, ignore it, let it go. Turn the other cheek is what he is saying. Don't take offense. And I think we do take offense when we're upholding ourselves in our great egos. When we get offended by offenses, it's because we're not grounded in anything solid. But if we are grounded in the love of God, do the opinions of people really matter all that much? When you're doing the right thing, and you know that the Father above is pleased with how you're living your life, then does it matter what other people think? Because if we prioritize ourself in those situations, because we're all expecting something similar, right? At work, if you give a dig to someone else, you expect a dig back, right? Tooth, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. This is how it goes. Tit for tat, punch for punch. That's the way we are, fundamentally to our core. But if you don't do that, if you refuse to give in to that, that speaks volumes that you are different. Why don't you participate in that nonsense? What is it about you? That's the call. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Be different, my people. I give a couple of examples here as I was thinking through this. I go back to my high school days and something that I witnessed. Um, there was a group of guys who always sat at the end of the rail. Um, this was where the juniors sat. The seniors sat up on this far end, but the juniors sat down here on the end of this rail. There was a group of guys who were good friends who always sat and uh, talked to each other after lunch. And in one particular day, uh, there was one guy uh, among this group who was a Christian, known believer, and everybody was talking, and he happened to say something that offended one of the other guys uh, standing there. And immediately, there was a punch to the stomach of the guy who, who had offended. And all of us watching, uh, it was a very tense moment. 
Because when you see one guy get punched, you're thinking, fight, right? It's, it's, something's going to happen. What are we going to see? Uh, but nothing happened. And it was obvious from the faith, face of the guy who had received the punch. He was trying to figure out what he was going to do. Now, these, these two guys are friends. The punch was uncharacteristic. And, and suddenly he said, uh, you took that in a way I did not intend. And are you having a bad day? And then this guy opened up and shared. He was having a bad day. He was having a bad month. And a conversation ensued that was amazing to watch. And I'll give you one other example. No, no tit for tat, right? No eye for an eye. No punch for punch. Uh, there's another example from the life of Hudson Taylor, who was the first missionary to take the gospel into inland China, who had, was standing on the, a river bank and had hailed a boat to take him across the river. And as he was waiting for the boat to come, he was seen by the pilot of the boat. He came, the boat was coming over. Um, he was waiting there as a, a wealthy Chinese businessman saw the boat coming and rushed to it. And Hudson Taylor dressed like normal Chinese people. And so he perceived him to be a peasant and, and pushed him out of the way with such force that knocked Hudson Taylor into the mud. What do you do when somebody knocks you in the mud? Hudson Taylor did nothing. He said nothing. He stood up. And when the boat pilot finally got the boat up to the dock, he said to the wealthy businessman, no, the foreigner called me first. I'm taking him. So Hudson Taylor got on board of the boat. And you know what he did? He turned around to the businessman who just pushed him in the dirt and said, can I help you over? And he helped him onto the boat. And then the man was obviously perplexed. And he said, why are you offering me a ride? And Hudson Taylor, of course, was, I'm sure, inwardly like, well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> and proceeded to tell him about the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our own wishes and our own high estimation of ourselves and consider ourselves to be lowly because we must be confident, I think, that we are so loved by God that it does not matter to us when we are unloved by people. Because you will be. You will be unloved. You will be treated with disrespect. It cannot phase you. Because if God the Father has approved of you and has his hand upon you. You can take it. You can. And Paul says this in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? For the sake of the name of Jesus, forego the right to be free from personal insult. To stop expecting it. Of course, everyone is going to underestimate your value. <laughs> except the God who created you. And he sent his only son to secure your salvation. He loves you. Don't let anyone take that away from you. And don't be swayed when people don't honor you. So if somebody smacks you, what Jesus is saying is just be unfazed. 
be, be unfazed. Just turn. He's having a bad day. View it that way. And so ask the question, the turning the other cheek. Do you have a bad day? Do you want to talk about it? That's the first thing Jesus says. The second example um, goes from verse 40. How should Christians respond when evil people oppose upon our property and our possessions? How should we respond? If anyone uh, would sue you to, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. The tunic is an inner garment. It would be equivalent to like a suit. Uh, the cloak would be like an overcoat. Uh, as think of it that way. So if someone is so consumed with having whatever clothes you have and they're going to take you to court for it, sue you in, in a, a, a legal proceeding, Jesus says, just give it away. Just, just give it up. Right? The, the Pharisees would say, oh, you're going to sue me? I will sue you back. Right? That, that's the spirit of eye for an eye. I, I will sue you back. And Jesus says, just get rid of it. Get down with it. Don't worry about it. Don't be so consumed. The value of your life is not determined by the clothes you wear. And yet, how often do we think it is? Right? Every teenager knows you're not nearly as valuable unless you have all the name brand stuff. Right? We've bought the lie, right? And yet, what, do you have to have certain clothes in order to be valuable in the eyes of God? No. And Jesus is not saying here that you have to be a doormat for anyone. What he is saying is, be free. You, you have been given to freely, so just give freely. James says it, right? If you see someone in need of clothes, just give it to them. I'm sure God can compensate for whatever you give away, right? I, as, as a little kid, my oldest son used to love to give stuff away, especially candy. He would share with the younger two. And I love to encourage that kind of generosity. And when he would give something away, I would say, David, if you want to give that away, I promise you, I'll give you more. Right? If, if, this, if, if a wicked father like me can say that to a little kid, how much more would a good heavenly father say, if you want to be generous with your stuff, I'll take care of you. I'll, I will take care of you. So be free. Let go of it. Right? Showing this world that we can be free from enslavement to possessions is what part of this world needs to see. We need to live out that kind of example. So I think that's what Jesus is saying. And consider for a moment what glorious garments of heavenly praise and worship has Jesus given up his right to in order to wrap himself in the poverty of this world so that then we who would have faith in him could enjoy those heavenly riches. What has Jesus given up He's not calling us to do anything that he hasn't done. He is calling us to do exactly what he has done. And that includes sometimes losing possessions and property. We must give up that right. Third, verse 41. Sometimes he calls us to go on long hikes. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. On verse 41. Right, the principle here is called impressment or commandeering. It was the right of occupying Roman soldiers to command conquered citizens to carry their stuff for a thousand paces. And Jesus is saying, when you're conscripted to carry, think of it as a, you got to carry someone's tray, carry the books, right? What happens in middle school when you carry my tray, right? We get ticked off 
I'll get him when he's outside, when he's not looking. All kinds of eye for eye and tooth for tooth kind of ideas rise up within us. And here Jesus is saying, don't just merely, you know, go along with one mile, willingly walk two. Why would Jesus say such a thing? I think, don't you need a little more time to talk about the kingdom of heaven? Right? One mile is only about 20 or 30 minutes. But if you go two, you got about 40 or 50 maybe. That's a whole lot more talking about the goodness of who our God is. And yet, this kind of willingness is, is, is very rare, isn't it? Who's willing to go out of your way to do something for someone? And I think this is a question of time. Do you, are you willing to let go of your right to control your time? Are you willing to sometimes sacrifice your time for others? Right, this, this, this spirit, I think, is uh, seen in an Old Testament example of a little girl. I don't know if you remember the story. I think it's 2 Kings 8 when there is a little Jewish girl who has been captured by a Syrian raiding band and she has been taken from her home and her parents and she is taken and forced into servitude by Naaman who is the commander of the Syrian army and she has been conscripted to be the servant of Naaman's wife. And she is a little girl. I don't know how old she is, but Naaman has leprosy. And here's this little girl. Here, here's what she says. She says, if only my master could go back to my homeland and find God's prophet, then he could be healed. I, that's mind-blowing to me because here's a little girl forced into slavery who is yearning for the healing of her master. I, I think that's kind of going the extra mile. A, a kind of spirit who, who is so desirous of kindness, of healing for someone who has harmed you and forced you into something you don't want to be into, and yet she is willing to yearn and tell him how he can be healed. And I just wonder, what goes through the mind of a Roman soldier well, you know what he's thinking, right? When you conscript a Jew to walk with you a thousand paces, the Jew's counting every step. And, and that's the human nature. I, I will go as far as I have to go and absolutely no further. And what happens in the mind of a Roman soldier when he's expecting the pack to be dropped? It's a thousand paces. It's going to be dropped here. And suddenly you still got your backpack on and you're still talking to the Roman soldier. And he's like, well, maybe this dude can't count. Um, so we'll just keep walking for a little bit more. And yet, the conversation continues. And then suddenly, imagine the soldiers kind of stopping and saying, you know, you could have let that down like a half a mile ago. And you choose to say, I know, but you need some help, right? So I can go with you a little further. Who are you? What, what are you made of? Why, why are you doing this? And what if the response is, well, Jesus carries my burdens. So, you're in need. I'll carry yours for just a little while longer. I do have to get back to work, but I think that's the point. Are we willing to go out of our way for the sake of those who have no idea of the goodness of God? And sometimes it's only through suffering and through hard situations that we get to demonstrate that. Because consider what Jesus gave up. He gave up in order to serve us. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. 
Mark 10.45 says this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve by giving His life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come in down here expecting to be served. He said, I'm going to serve you by offering my life as payment so that you can enjoy the benefits of, of, of heaven forever through my death. That's what Jesus has done for us. He carried our sins away so that we could then enjoy communion with God the Father. If Jesus has done such, then should not we who are his people? And then the fourth example Jesus uses is verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Well, an eye for an eye would say, well, if you're going to, you want some money from me, what are you going to give me back? Right? What, if I'm going to give you something, what are you going to give me? And Jesus says, don't be like that. Just be generous. Give without worrying to the one who begs from you. And again, I don't think this is a universal command. You have to give to anyone who asks for you, especially if your own child is the little beggar. Please, daddy, please, please, mommy, please, please. Right? Every good parent knows if you give to a child who constantly asks for you and you never say no, you will raise a selfish little impertinent a bunch of other adjectives I don't need to go into who will be impossible to live with when they're a teenager. You have to say no. This is not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is when somebody's in need, give, give. We have been given to generously by God the Father. And so give without being selfish, without being confined to keep our stuff. Think of the heavenly riches that Jesus gave up in order to come here and, and, and accomplish the will of God the Father. Think of the wealth that he gave up. And he is willing to say, if anyone would come to me, I will never cast you out. This is the Lord who we serve. So he is amazing. In conclusion, what's the point? Uh, the people of the kingdom of heaven are not those who demand personal rights. They are the people who deny them. We are the people who give up our rights in order to receive grace. Because if you want to stand before God the Father and demand your rights, I think he would say, well, you've been a sinner from the beginning. If you want what is right, it would be your condemnation. First thing you did, and you could form your own thought, was to form a selfish one. Right? We, every one of us know inherently how to be selfish. And yet, do we know how to be gracious? And so Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and die. All of you. Die to your own personal rights, your rights of possession. Let go of it all, your time, your money. Deny it. It cannot stand between me and you. So for the sake of pleasing God the Father, Jesus died to his right to be honored and he received dishonor. We should be willing to give up the same. Jesus, for the sake of being obedient to God the Father, died to the right to be lavishly treated with luxurious possessions. He gave up everything. If he has done so, can we? For Jesus, for the sake of pleasing God the Father and fulfilling his will, um, gave himself up to be abused by man. And we must be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel so that we too can enjoy eternity with God the Father. Jesus, for the sake of obeying um, God the Father in accomplishing his will gave up every glorious 
wonder of heaven in order to help us secure eternity with him. And so shouldn't we too not be enslaved to possessions in this world and our money? So would you pray with me? Because I want you to ask a question. What is it that's hardest about what you just heard? What, what strikes you as most difficult? Maybe that's the thing we're holding on to the most. Father, we hear these words of Jesus and we think about our own personal rights. We grow up, we breathe a culture that asserts and demands personal rights. And Jesus, you have called us to take up our cross and die to ourselves. And Lord Jesus, we, we can't do that without you. And I pray that you would cause every heart hearing my voice to treasure you and what you have accomplished for us far more than we treasure our own bodies, far more than we treasure our own possessions, far more than we treasure our own time, and far more than we treasure even the, our own finances. May we see you, Jesus, as the greatest treasure of all. And may we know and experience the love of God the Father such that when people dishonor us, we just let it go. God, let us be unoffendable for the sake of the name of Jesus. Let us be free from enslavery to things. Let us be free from being tangled up in the possessions of this world. Keep your people nimble and light on this planet. And God, let the goodness of your grace settle into our souls. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you have done to accomplish our salvation. You have lived perfectly. You have died an atoning sacrifice to pay for sins. And you now reign with the right to pour your spirit into all who would come to you in faith and trust. And so Jesus, for the believers in this room, would you fill us with your spirit so that we can go home today and work tomorrow and live like you. And Lord, if there are those who do not yet know you, would you grant repentance of sin and fullness of your spirit so that we can enjoy the sweet communion that you give to your children. Teach us, Lord, how to walk with you faithfully. For you are the one king that we are all called to serve. And I pray that we would do it with good and glad hearts. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.